Hello and welcome to the Applied Innovations Podcast. I am your host, Raphael, and this is your source for manufacturing insights, best practices, and technology. Making quality parts in a timely manner is paramount for manufacturers. Unfortunately, the process itself can have serious wear and tear on the very tools we are using to transform chunks of metal into useful parts. Drill bits can break, and probes can accidentally get smashed. It is a fact of life, but in today's podcast, we are going to look at different strategies to manage these problems and have you up and running as immediately as possible. To discuss these solutions, I spoke with returning friend of the show, Jake White. As a Renishaw applications engineer and machine tool expert, he has seen more than his share of broken tools and probes. With that experience, he has provided several industries the options to best manage the inevitable problem of tools wearing out or breaking. I want to thank Renishaw for lending Jake to us for this episode, but also for sponsoring the show. For additional information and videos on any equipment we cover today, go to renishaw.com. I'd also like to encourage all of you to visit Renishaw's virtual expo and webinars on renishaw.com slash virtual expo or renishaw.com slash webinars. On those pages, you will find a wealth of educational resources for a variety of manufacturers with content that covers a wide array of industries and manufacturing categories. If you're interested, you'll find those links in the show notes. And now, here is my conversation with machine tool expert, Jake White. Hello, Jake White. Welcome back to the show. I really appreciate you coming back. Hey, Raphael. Thanks for having me again. Uh, Always happy to talk with you. Today, I was thinking we would cover a couple of things that probably are very commonplace for the general manufacturer out there. If you're machining, you're pretty much trying to avoid things from going wrong, right? I mean, you want to make sure everything's on the up and up from the beginning to the end, but Accidents happen, things change, things wear out, normal wear and tear. And I was hoping that you'd talk to us today about how we would prevent some of that wear and tear, or at least catch it so it doesn't derail the entire manufacturing process. Yeah, good call. I'm sure you've seen our productivity process pyramid, and uh, we can definitely relate this topic to somewhere in there, somewhere towards the base where Mm -hmm. you you want to prevent things going wrong while you're making parts so you don't waste time making bad parts. And, you know, subsequently wasting time down the line in the process. So uh, one of the big things to do with preventing bad parts being made is making sure your tools are good. But the next step up the pyramid would be yeah, our tool breakage and tool measuring systems. So let's look at this a little bit from the beginning. You're obviously mm-hmm. going to be doing something um, that is a tool detection, right? These tools are specifically to detect the drill bits and essentially the metal pieces Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that are shaving off the metal of the giant, um, I guess, first metal piece that eventually gets transformed into a usable part. So these things are shaving off little bits and pieces of this metal. And that's what we're trying to essentially babysit throughout the entire process, correct? We're trying to make sure they don't break. The normal course of action is uh, the operator or the guy running the machine, he puts a tool together. So you might put a new end mill or a drill bit in a tool holder. It could be a collet or something, but it's just kind of a manual process. You put the tool together and then uh, there's different ways you can do this. You can have an offline tool measuring system where the operator has to take the tool over to this machine. It measures the tool, the tool length and diameter accurately. Does usually does it very well. But then the operator has to take that number, 
typically comes out on a little piece of paper, like a little sticker, and he's got to punch that number into the machine in the correct offset and making sure he doesn't enter in the number wrong, which is very easy to do. You know, you can mistake a zero for an eight or a whatever it might be, you know. Right. So you could enter in the wrong value in the machine and the machine doesn't care. It's going to go ahead and, and run with that number, which could result in a bad part. Um, the benefit of using these tool measuring systems is the operator builds the tool like he normally would, just puts it in the machine and has the machine measure the tool. So you know that the offset is being updated correctly and repeatedly every time. You're not relying on an operator to do it. Um, in addition to measuring the tools, we can also check to see if they're broken while you're making the part. So if you're drilling 20 holes with a drill, maybe a small drill bit, and there's a mm -hmm. good chance it could break during that process, you can check that the drill, the drill bit did not break at the end of the process before you move on to the next tool, which might be a tap. And you don't want to break your tap going into a hole that wasn't drilled properly. So that's where these probes can really come into uh, to effect is taking out any kind of human error and being used in process to make sure that the last operation was done properly by you know checking for broken tools. So you're telling me that once upon a time before these tools, they would actually take the drill bits out of the machine and measure it with tools like outside of the entire environment just to see if they were the size they were supposed to be? Yeah, the operator would put together a tool and then have to put it in this little mechanism that has, um, you know, they're pretty advanced now. Sometimes it's like a shadow graph or there's different ways of doing it, but it gives you a length and you got to punch that length into the machine. Which that sounds fine, super manual. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot of room for error in that process. So wow. Yeah. Take that error out of, uh, you know, take that error out of the process and make sure it does it correctly every time. By using these tools, it's, it's an automatic thing. The machine is communicating with this tool, tool setter, whichever mm -hmm. one that, yeah, you, whichever that one you've you mentioned. Yeah. Yep. And um, it is automatically telling it this one is broken. This one got shaved uh, in a way or, or chipped or something like that. I mean, yeah, something, and, even something as simple as that. Yeah. And, a, you know, a new tool will be perfect. And then over time, after you use it, it might wear down a little bit on you just because it's been used for so long. So that's where you can measure those tools after each cycle or each 10 parts, 100 parts, whatever the, uh, the uh, increment is that you want to do and make sure that you're updating the tool geometry every time correctly. So the tool is going to change over time. It's going to wear out and it's up to the user to decide how long that lifespan is. So we can measure tools, measure the lengths and diameters and set tolerances. So it'll give you an alarm if it says, yep, this is supposed to be a half inch, but it's measuring at, 0 0.4990, that's uh, outside of our tolerance. It'll throw an alarm automatically. It's not up to the, the operator to realize that this error and this you know, tool wear has occurred and it's time to get a new one. And we okay. can do that all automatically on our own. How does it actually measure? Let, let's pick one of these. And what is it that's going on inside of the machine? What are these tool setters actually doing to know that mm -hmm. something is off, not quite right? So the uh, we'll stick to just the contact tool setters right now because there's a few other non-contact ones that we'll talk about later. But for the contact tool setters, you generally have a square or a round disc stylus that's about a half inch in diameter. Mm -hmm. So it's just a ground carbide half inch cylinder. And the tools will touch. It's flat on the top. So the tools will come down. And for the length, it'll just touch the top of the pad. And depending on the size of the tool, we might do it with the tool not rotating. Uh, so like a drill, we're just got a single point to the drill. We just come down on center 
and touch the top of the pad, and that's how we get our length. Really simple. Okay. And as soon as the pro gets triggered, it sends the signal to the machine, and then the macros figured out from there. Uh, the macros say, okay, we've triggered the probe um, based on our calibration data and where the machine is now. We know the length of the probe or the length of the tool, I should say, and it will put that value into the desired tool offset number. Okay. It's almost like a, a light switch. And then the, the tool comes down and it's almost trying to turn that light switch off. And if it doesn't quite accomplish the full switch turning off, then it knows that, okay, it's short. It, yeah. it should have turned it off, but it shouldn't. So that would be a good but example of a tool breakage check. So ah, if, I if see. The tool is supposed to be five inches long, but it broke. It's not going to be five inches long. It might be four and a half, three or two inches, you know, whatever. It, it sure. broke. Don't know where it broke. But for a tool breakage check, we know that the tool is supposed to be five inches. So we position the machine down to five inches above the top of our little round tool setting stylus. And if the probe doesn't sense that it's been triggered, we can determine that the the tool has been broken. So we can raise an alarm or maybe go get a subsequent tool to redo the process. That's where the uh, you can get pretty fancy with the programming and have some kind of lights out programming logic in there or just raise an alarm and have an operator come over and check it out with their own eyes and say, oh, yep, got to change the tool out, remeasure it, and we're up and going, ready to go. You can even have it automated. I didn't know that. Yeah, you can get uh, pretty fancy with the programming. You don't always have to have a, a user come over and fix it Maybe you have duplicates of all the tools in your machine because you want this machine to run overnight without anyone babysitting it. Right. So if the tool's determined is broken, you have some logic in your programming that says, oh, this is broken. Go get the duplicate tool and rerun the last operation. Have to do it. Check it again. Maybe it moves forward. Maybe something else went wrong. But either way, it'll keep you from having downtime on that machine. Oh, that is fancy. Well, that def definitely keeps things going. That's mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. And then, um, so you... We just kind of talked about measuring the length of a tool to measure the diameter of a tool. We will rotate the tool backwards. So you're not cutting the stylus because if you're rotating it forwards, you're going to be milling away at our stylus. We don't want that. So we rotate the tool backwards and we come down and we touch off on the sides of the stylus, which give us a realistic diameter because it's including the runout of the tool. You know, if you just measure the tool while it's not rotating, that's great. You have the diameter of it. But if it's not on center, when it rotates, it's going to have a little bit of run out in that tool. But it, when it cuts, it's going to behave that way. So you want to get that diameter uh, measured. So when you cut, you're getting the most accurate cut you can. Effectively, you are measuring, is there, I mean, hold on. We're measuring the tool as it would be used, kind of. I see, I see. Okay, so because it, if it was just still, what would be the difference then? It in... will always be a little bit smaller. You know, if the, if the tool oh. says it's a half inch on the box that it comes in, it probably is. But when you put in the tool holder, if it's not exactly on center, when you spin the tool, it might be just, it's going to be a little bit bigger than a half inch. I see. Okay. Because you're accounting for that little bit of run out, which could be occurring in the spindle, which would be an issue, uh, or it could be occurring in the most likely the way it's held into the tool holder is where you're going to get your run out. Okay. These are the contact approach, right? Mm -hmm. um, so something is literally touching something else to confirm yep. that things are on the up and up. Yep. It's it just like a, just like a spindle probe. It's just a set of uh, contacts inside the probe that tell an interface when the probe is triggered or it's not triggered. And that's all it really is. Nothing too fancy um, where it does get a little bit fancy is with the non-contact systems. So um, I'll talk about the TRS-2. Uh, this is a non-contact tool breakage system. 
So all this does is check to see if tools are broken. It can't measure tools, it only sees that they're broken. So this would be an example, uh, if you have a real high production machine and you don't wanna spend time on the machine measuring tools because it does take time to do that. You have an offline tool setter, which sometimes can almost, they can actually automatically update tool lengths to the machine with an offline tool setter. So this would be like a high production machine. Um, you're making a lot of parts, um, really good fixturing and everything. Um, probably a horizontal machine more than likely, but the tool uh, TRS2, it, it sends out a laser and it looks for reflection from the tool to reflect back to the sensor on the TRS2. And if it sees reflection, we can assume that the tool is there. If it doesn't get any reflection back, uh, it'll give you a tool breakage alarm. How does the laser actually accomplish this with all the chips and everything going yeah, good, on in there? Good, really How does that question. work? Um, there's an interface built into the TRS2, which looks for a repeating reflection. So we're spinning the, so we uh, push the tool into the laser and we're spinning the tool at a certain RPM, which the user can specify because some big tools can't be spun that fast. So anyways, we spin the tool and the logic in the TRS2 is looking for a repeating reflection at a certain increment, right? Because if the tool's good, it's going to be reflecting that light back in a specific pattern. Right. If it's not, or if it's getting reflection from coolant or chips, it's going to be kind of erratic and not be a repeating pattern of light. So that's how we can filter through having a good tool or a bad tool, even in a coolant and chip rich environment. That sounds both super smart, but also super simple. Like like uh, almost like a smart AI based kind of logic, but with something as simple as, well, is there a reflection or isn't there a reflection? Yeah. Just that easy. And that's generally it gets, it's if the tool's good, it'll see it in like a second or less. It's very fast. You don't even really see it happen. If it doesn't see good reflection right away, the user can tell it how long it wants to look for. So I usually set it to like 30 seconds, which might seem like a long time, but your tool shouldn't be breaking. So you shouldn't encounter this that often, but it'll sit there for 30 seconds looking for this reflective pattern. That way you can be positive that the tool is broken when it determines there's a, a broken tool in the machine. Yeah, so this, the one we were just talking about, the TRS2 is just one single unit and it just shoots laser out and looks for reflection through a little sapphire window, right? Pretty simple. The, and it just has to be perpendicular to the tool. So it's pretty easy to install machines because it's uh, just, you kind of put it anywhere. Um, but the next system I'm gonna talk about is the NC4. This is our full on tool measuring and tool breakage system. So just like with the contact tool setters, the NC4, can measure tools as well as check for broken tools and do a bunch of other exciting things. So it has a lot more uh, capability than just the contact tool setters or the TRS2 does. Um, so the NC4 has a transmitter on one side, then it has a receiver on the other side, and it's shooting a laser from the transmitter to the receiver. And what we do is we look, uh, we, we look at the receiver, and the interface looks at the re receiver, I should say, and it determines when the laser's triggered uh, by how much light is being blocked. So if a tool comes in and blocks, I believe it's more than 50% of the light the receiver sees normally, then it says I'm triggered. So that's how we're triggering our input into the machine. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. so when, when half the light is blocked, then we can assume that we're triggered, right? Right. So in addition to 
um, doing everything a contact tool setter can, which is measuring your lengths, measuring your diameters. It can also check for broken tools very, very quickly. So we, uh, we just rapid the tool down into the beam. We check to see if it's blocked. If it is, then good. That means the tool's there. If it's not, we can move down a little bit further depending on the, the tolerance that the user wants to check the broken tool against and uh, determine if it's bad or not. So one big benefit with using an NC4 is the small tools that it can measure. So a contact system, you're a little bit restricted with the size of tools you can measure because uh, you're actually putting pressure on that tool. Some tools that users want to cut with are so small that just touching on the probe, which is a pretty light trigger force to begin with, will snap the tool. So the NC4 really excels when you want to use really, really tiny tools to cut. So you can measure lengths and diameters, of course, with the, with the tiny tools, which for a contact tool setter, there's no way you could measure diameters on a small tool. Are, are these um, small tools that delicate? Yeah, they're extremely delicate. I mean, super, super small, like under 30 thou diameter, you know, really, really tiny stuff, usually used for uh, maybe mold making or you know, I'm not sure of all the applications. That's a good reason to get an NC4 is if you want to measure small tools. Um, okay. Another thing that the NC4 can do is uh, you can kind of set up the NC4 to use different M codes. And an M code is just a signal from the machine that you can turn on and off. So you give the machine a code like an M100, and then a 24-volt output turns on on the back of the machine, and an M101 turns that off. That's all it is. It's just a signal that you can turn on and off through programming. But depending on the different signals you hook up, you get different functionality from the NC4. So you, get all, you always get all the basic stuff, tool measuring, tool breakage for lengths, diameters. But depending on the M codes you add, you can have it do things like profile checking. So if the edge of your tool is maybe cut to a certain radius, it's not just a square corner, it's got like a radius to it or some exotic profile, mm -hmm. you can actually program that in and the NC4 can follow that path and check to make sure that the profile of the tool is accurate. Oh, so it's confirming that the cut is the way it's supposed to be, yeah, essentially. Yeah, that, that the tool okay. is actually still the same shape it should be. Uh, you can also check for like broken flutes of a tool. So a cutting tool might have a few cutting flutes to it. Um, you can check to see if one of those has been broken or chipped. You can also do, uh, yeah, you can do profile checking. You can also measure the radius of tools. So if you want to verify that the uh, corner radius of a tool is a certain size, the NC4 can check the actual radius of it. That's something that the other probes do not have the capability to do. And we also have come out with a new version. The NC4 traditionally had a red laser. Uh, we updated that probably about two years ago, which incorporated a integrated air blast. So there's a little air solenoid in the center of the NC4 that'll blast air at the tool to help clean off chips and coolant during measurement. Mm -hmm. um, but the latest release of the NC4 actually uses a blue laser. And the benefit of the blue laser is you get better tool-to-tool -tool accuracy, and I believe you can measure smaller tools as well. This is due to the blue light. The blue light beam is actually a higher frequency light than red, so it kind of gives us a better resolution of what's going on uh, with the light coming out of the transmitter. The overall theme for today is bad things can happen during manufacturing. We want to make sure that the tools are staying solid and good. And obviously there are plenty of ways to confirm that. Is 
how prevalent of an issue is this during a manufacturing uh, job, would you say? How many times do you usually have to change a tool? That, that's a good question. I, don't, I can't answer that because it's all going to depend on how long you're using that tool for, uh, what the material of the part is that you're cutting, and what the material of the cutter is. How fast are you spinning it? How long are you using it for? If you're just cutting aluminum, which is a relatively easy material to cut, you can probably use a tool for a really long time. But if you're cutting like stainless or uh, maybe an Inconel type material, you're going to get shorter life out of that tool. So it, it really depends. But having a, a good tool setting solution on your machine or tool breakage solution, if you know where your part's at, if your fixturing is really good for your parts, you might not need to probe everyone because you know where it's at. You know, the probe doesn't need to come in and check uh, where the part's at every time because it's being fixtured properly but you do want to make sure that your tools are behaving the way they should. And, uh, you know, things can go wrong in the process, which would cause broken tools, or like I said, the operator might put a tool in incorrectly or enter the offset erroneously. And having these tool setting solutions will help uh, negate any kind of issues like that. I had no idea this was so essential. So is it common for most machines to have one or two different kinds on there? Or is it usually like you buy one and you set it and you forget it and kind of go with that? Typically on a kind of depends on the production process, as, as they say, like a mom and pop shop or uh, a machine that kind of makes just a couple of a certain parts or maybe one off parts, you're going to just need one tool setter, probably a, a contact tool setter like the TS27R or the OTS or RTS will be fine because this will measure your tools for you. And then you can also check broken tools in process. So that'll you know, cover everything you need to do. In a high production environment, you'd probably wanna go with the NC4 and then maybe also a TRS2, which depends, really depends on how much cycle time you're trying to save. Uh, the TRS2 will be great okay. for checking your broken tools extremely fast, uh, but the NC4 will also, can also do that. And then you can set your tools on the machine as well. So it, it, it depends on uh, what the needs or the goals of the machine are and how it wants to be used. That's, that's how I'd have to answer that question. You know, there's typically one probe on a machine will be uh, enough that you kind of do what you need to. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it depends on what they want to do with the machine and how many parts you're trying to make. Uh, kind of a few factors. That's why manufacturing is tricky. Sure. There's not always one answer for everything, you know? Right, right. I mean, it, it depends on so many little things. That it, it, it makes perfect sense. But the general consensus, it sounds like you're a high-volume um, kind of manufacturer with a lot going on. You probably want to make sure that things are running as cleanly and quickly as possible. So maybe the laser ones would ideally work yeah for you. the laser will definitely solve any user's issue a lot of oems they they just the machines come from the factory with an ots on them because they know okay that's going to satisfy 90 percent of our market share for what they need and then maybe those 10 percent who need something else then we can work with them after the fact but um yeah typically ots or rts is a great solution and the, the mc4 is kind of above and beyond for some people but Okay. Yeah. So the so there's a starter kit yeah, essentially, yeah, and then if you want to go extra pro, you could you can kick it up a notch. Yeah, like I was talking earlier about the small tools. Um, you know, the OTS will solve most people's manufacturing problems, and then I'll get calls and from a user, and they'll say, "Hey, I want to set this tiny tool with my OTS." I go, "Oh well, 
hope you have a few to spare because I can't promise it'll work. We might need to go to the NC4 instead of that. And they completely understand the need for the NC4, but sure. they know what they're making is kind of, uh, you know, not the norm, if you will. The other side of this, though, obviously you're checking your tools, making sure all those bits are working, they're spinning, they're the sizes that they need, they need to be. You're checking that the sizes are correct. All of that stuff you have that covered with some of those tools. So manufacturing can continue and you can keep making things the way you want, but we still have those probes that are also valuable and they're also providing a great service throughout the process. What happens if you mess one of those up? Because I assume, I mean, manufacturing is, uh, it can be a messy business sometimes. And what happens if one of those gets bumped or smashed or utterly destroyed or something? What solutions does the average manufacturer have to do their own repairs or even just fix it? Is there any support yeah, for something good, like good that? Good question. Um, you know, probes can definitely be broken uh, by user error or programming error, or you know, if they've been used a long, long time, they might wear out because they're living in a very harsh environment. Um, so for that, we do offer a program called Repair by Exchange, called RBE. And mm -hmm. what this lets you do is it lets you take your busted probe, no matter how messed up it is. And I'm talking about tool setters and spindle probes. So not just your spindle probes, you also do tool setters and other probes. If you have to send it to us in a bag of parts, that's okay. We're going to accept that and we're going to ship you out. A <laughs> scratch yeah. even. <laughs> we're going to ship you out a replacement probe at a heavily discounted price. It's usually about 60%, 60 to 70% discount from uh, purchasing it new and outright. So you definitely want to hold on to oh, that's not bad. Hold on to those busted probes if you do break one. It's usually a little bit more than a thousand bucks for like your standard basic probe to replace it. So it's not uh, a shockingly expensive price that people think it. It usually is, and that's why some people are scared to use the probes because they don't want to mess them up. Which you know, I understand it's an expensive tool, but it's not going to be four thousand dollars to replace. It's going to be much, much, much less than that. And then also, if you have an old probe, so you have a probe that's been on your machine for twenty years, you don't really use it, or it stopped working, we offer upgrade discounts. So send us that old probe. We're just going to scrap it. We're not going to do anything with it, but we will give you a discount on upgrading to a a current version pro oh, that's cool so ke keeping your old stuff is definitely uh worth it and uh yeah don't just throw it away in the scrap bin hold on to it and use it to exchange at a, a later date if you're if you're not if you don't want to do it right now so if you're a hoarder <laughs> essentially yeah. out there in, in the manufacturing world hoard it hoard some probes it, send it yeah, in it'll be worth some money exactly <laughs> yeah. um we we sell a few components to the probes but but nothing really integral to the inside of the probe because we can't verify that either the user's going to replace correctly or even that we're going to do it correctly here because it's such a precision piece of equipment. It's hard to rebuild it with piece parts. And we're pretty good at making them with our, you know, our manufacturing in the UK. So we do have some pieces like yeah. battery covers and maybe some seals. So if you just have like a bad battery cover or, um, some of the external pieces we do sell, you know, give us a call. We might have that. Um, but if it's anything inside the probe, like if it's been crashed real aggressively or the body's dented or something, we're probably gonna have to recommend that you, uh, replace it. But generally the rule of thumb is if you turn the probe on and it's blinking green, it's probably okay. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So, yeah generally. I mean, I've seen some pretty badly crashed probes and, uh, usually they work or they don't work at all. So there's not a lot of intermittent issues with them. You know, if you turn it on, it's flashing green. 
it means that the probe mechanism is seated and happy. And uh, if you trigger it, it flashes red, you're probably okay. So, so it's uh, rather resilient, at least. So you yeah. don't have to uh, always think that it's totally gone. You could potentially still keep using one if it takes a hit, for example, but still green. Yeah, I myself have uh, smashed some probe stylus. Luckily, I just hit broke the stylus, not the didn't hit the probe itself, but I oh. kind of came straight down in the z-axis. Wow. Snapped the stylus pretty aggressively, and the probe was fine. So definitely built to live through some styli crashes. If you crash the probe itself. Maybe not, but <laughs> <laughs> how common is that? I, I assume it's just you know like it happens. You know what I mean? Like I'm a, I'm guessing I'm not a machinist in any way. How often would you say? Well, if you go to our warehouse, you'll see a big scrap bin in the back corner of the warehouse where there's um, quite a few smashed probes, and some of them are are pretty far gone. I don't know how often that bin gets emptied, but there's at least fifty probes in there usually at the time. So wow, yeah, it happens, but. Figure there's a lot of probes out there being used. I think that's a good thing. It means people are using them, right? Mistakes yeah, happen. Yeah. And the, the point of the RBE program is to make it so it's a lot less painless to replace that probe. Yeah, that's a shame, especially if you're using it. I mean, you obviously understand the principles of good manufacturing. You're you're making sure that the stuff you're making is accurate, it's to spec, it's you know, it's being done efficiently. And then if you get hit with this giant hiccup, essentially, of mm -hmm. oh well, one of our main tools can't do its job you know you you want a quick turnaround on something like that like you said if you're uh if you need that probe that the, the probe is a vital tool for your manufacturing process uh, we can do what's called an advanced replacement for a small fee uh, just give us the serial number off the unit that you will be sending into us and then probably that same day we can ship out the uh, the new probe to you and we just need yours back within a given time it might be like a week or two we need to get yours back but um, that'll keep you from being down and out for any longer than you need to be. Yeah, you want to keep the momentum going, obviously, especially if you're building. Uh, mm -hmm. I imagine yeah. deadlines are probably tight with some kind of manufacturing out there. Oh, so. yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, we like to hear people who use the probes and it's a big part of their process. And we understand it when they say, hey, my probe broke or crashed it or something happened and I need a new one ASAP. So that's where the advanced replacement uh, definitely comes in handy, where we can get one out to you. Probably, like I said, ship it out that day. We should have them in stock. Uh, yeah, keep you know, get you up and running as fast as possible. Just get the new probe, recalibrate it, and you're off to the races. These are excellent solutions to problems that are almost inevitable sometimes. So um, are there any other last-minute tips before we go for any manufacturers out there that might encounter some normal wear and tear in their process? Well, anyone who likes to use Renishaw product, um, you know, I would say it's always important to make sure that you have your probes properly calibrated. That's going to be kind of the foundation of all the results that the probe gives you is uh, based on the calibration of the probe. So uh, make sure you got your probe calibrated properly. Make sure you have a good artifact to calibrate the probe with, mm -hmm. whether that's a master tool or it's a ring gauge or a calibration sphere. That's always something you want to make sure you have done properly. And any questions about calibration can easily be answered by our uh, applications group. So give us a call and say, I want to make sure my probe's calibrated correctly or I'm getting erroneous readings from the probe. You probably just need to recalibrate and you're good to go. Once you have it set up and running correctly, you're probably going to get good data out of the probe. 
And it's going to help you make your process a little more robust and get a little more throughput out of it. All right. So the number one thing to remember for any builders, manufacturers, whatever, regular maintenance matters. As anything in life, maintenance is important. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, if, if the temperature of your of your shop changes 10 degrees throughout the month or the week, you probably want to uh, address that. You know, and that'd be done with calibration and various maintenance of, uh, of the machine. So it's always good to kind of stay on a um, scheduled maintenance with the machine um, and using the probes. Our products can definitely help that. Uh, but our products like themselves need maintenance sometimes too. So. Right. Be good to them. They'll be good to you. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> there you go. Very cool. Uh, well, thank you very much, Jake, for coming on the show. I, I hope that we can uh, have you back sometime soon. I'm sure there's always more to cover when it comes to probing. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I definitely look forward to talking to you in the future about uh, any other topics we want to discuss. So thanks, Jake. All right. Have a great day, Raphael. And that was my conversation with machine tool expert, Jake White. I hope that all the information that was shared with us is of some value to you and your business. Thank you for listening to the show, and be sure to subscribe to the feed to catch the latest episode immediately upon release. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at appliedinnovationspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I am Raphael, and this is the Applied Innovations Podcast.